Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Parenting Matters, and it is part of the Parental Guidance Required Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. So good to see all of you here this morning in, 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 the, in the house of God, as they used to say, and looking forward to getting into a new series today. And hey, I'm looking forward to that parenting forum. Uh, by the way, here's the, the more even, well, equally exciting thing is Sherry McCutcheon will be bringing the message that day. And so, yes. So it's going to be incredible. And then, uh, so please submit your questions, and we look forward to meeting with you uh, on that time. Uh, many years ago, she, uh, Christy was always a person who, who spoke truth to me. And she, I remember one day I'm in the car, and she's talking away at me, and I'm not listening. I'm thinking about church matters and that stuff. She was about maybe four years old or five, maybe something like that. She said, Dad, stop spending time with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> she also said to me a, a few years, uh, somewhat a little bit later than that, she said, uh, one day she said, Dad, why don't you preach on family more? I said, well, I, you know, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I don't think I'm doing a great job. And she said, that's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I think she was about eight years old when she said that. So, she, Christy, I'm, I'm still trying to get better at preaching on the family. And it's kind of interesting because family is so important to us, as you guys who know us know that. I want to show a, little, a short video clip from uh, Douglas Wilson and his spouse uh, who wrote a, a, a book called Why Children Matter. And this the statements they make, I believe, just sets the stage for this sermon today in this series. And the series is called PG, Parental Guidance Required. It's a, it's a title that probably a million or a thousand pastors have used, so it's not a, a creative title, but, or it's not original, I should say. But um, I, I think it's, it says what I want to say. Today I want to talk to you about why parents matter, and Doug Wilson's going to talk to you about why children matter. When you're knee-deep in toddlers, all of a sudden you think, now what was that he said again? What, what does the Bible have to say about that? And so uh, uh, this book, Why Children Matter, uh, addresses a, a number of basic issues, principles and methods, uh, definition of family, uh, the modeling one no and a world of yes, uh, different principles like that, uh, where you want a gospel-saturated home, a grace-saturated home, but you want the grace to have a backbone. Grace doesn't mean kids run the show. It doesn't mean that they run riot. Grace means that we live the way God called us to live. Mm -hmm. Unlike the cover. Unlike the cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're trying on the cover. <laughs> you can see that they're trying. There's effort. And so this book is releasing uh, June 26th. And if you're in this position, if you are knee deep in toddlers, this is a book for you. So before there was 
an institution called a nation. Before there was a, an entity called commerce or business. Before there was even the church. There was an association called a family. There's nothing more important in life than parents. Who you are and who you've become is shaped more by who your parents were than 99%, I would say, more to do with who you are and what you've become than any other factor in your life. Anytime I talk to people about their lives, and we'll sit and talk for very long about their lives, and as they share about who they are, whether good or bad, negative or positive, certainly when they're talking about their problems and their chaos, and certainly in counseling settings that I'm often in, invariably, the word parents will come up. My dad, my mom, my parents, the decisions my parents made, what my, dis- what my dad, well, let, let me tell you what my dad was like. What, what, me t- what you tell me was like living with my mom. That will always, always, always come up. In a forum called Quora, where there's people just ask questions. And the question came up recently, what is the importance of your parents in your life? And I, I like the answer of a, a lady named Megan, with, uh, has a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And Megan said, I spent the first 19, 20 years trying to break away from my parents. Now as an adult and a parent, I'd say that I'm trying to include them in my life. I'd say that they're more important now that I have kids and don't need them for day-to-day life. I don't need them or financial support or even generally for emergency babysitting. This means that in some way they're still in my life because I want them there. I send them pics of the kids. I invite them over to hang out or plan a kid's weekend with them. I tell them what's going on in my life about a new job interview or ask their opinion about a sport that we might enroll the kids in. I'd say they've become more like friends over the years. I realize you're in a lot of different places here today. Some of you have small children. Some of you have older children. Some of you have grown children. Some of you uh, have a great relationship with your kids, and some of you don't. Some of you probably feel like you succeeded as a parent. Some of you probably feel like you didn't. I believe God has something to say to all of us, and I don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling hopeless or condemned. I want everybody to walk out of here today feeling encouraged, instructed, and inspired that parenting and family is incredibly, incredibly important. This week, I got a great FaceTime. Um, how many of you know who Bob Goff is? Love, love, love does. Bob Goff is just, he's one of a kind. He's an incredible, if you haven't read Love Does, I, I forgot his latest book, it's just incredible. Go, go on YouTube and look at Bob Goff. You want to you laugh and be encouraged. He goes all over the world doing good for people. He's an attorney, and he goes all over the world using his legal knowledge to help people out of suffering, and he's just unbelievable. Well, Elise is at, my daughter's at Hillsong College in Arizona. She calls me, uh, I believe it was Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday, and uh, she's I knew Bob Goff had spoken in their chapel that morning. So she calls me up. She said, Bob Goff wants to FaceTime you. <laughs> so I was so excited. It's, it, it's, so I FaceTimed her, and there, there he is, his biggest life, with Elise. And he, here's what he said. I'll never forget what he said. He said, 
He puts his arm around Elise. He said, this is your report card. You get an A. (laughs) Now, this series is not about how great Sherry and I are parenting. Uh, I've watched a lot of great parenting around here the last 30 years, often in some very challenging circumstances. I mean, it's just, I, I just, I can't get off on that. I'll spend 20 minutes talking about the many challenging circumstances that many of our parents have parented. I've seen a lot of good parenting. There's also been a lot of amazing research done, and some of it by people who aren't even Christ followers. And finally, there's the most reliable book of ancient wisdom, and that is the Bible itself. I'm talking about its message on parenting, and everything about it is timeless, friends, and it's transcendent. And so that, that's why I want to say that parenting matters, because there's a move in culture today that parenting doesn't matter that other forces and other entities and other groups should replace the authority and direction of the parents that can do so, it, we're going to show you in a minute that it doesn't work. So I want to talk about three things in this series. One is authority, influence, and vision. Authority, influence, and vision. Today I'm going to, I'm going to camp on authority a little bit, and then next week influence. And then Sherry's going to talk to you about vision. The whole premise of this series is that the primary spiritual and emotional leader for children are those assigned by God to be their parents. Let me read two passages to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Notice how it begins. Circle in your minds, be fruitful. Increase in number. Circle that. That means... Have children. Increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So you fill the earth with those children and subdue the earth with those children. Rule over the fish with those children of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then I want to jump to the most famous parenting passage ever and probably the one of the most misapplied and misunderstood. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, let's jump right into this. What is the, first of all, let's talk about the challenge to parental authority. The, The current cultural challenge and the current challenge that just naturally happens is this challenge to parental authority. Uh, First of all, Paul, the challenge to parental authority is not new. You need to understand that. It didn't just start with the 60s and the, the tune-in, drop-out generation of hippies. It, it didn't just start with the uh, creation of public education and the, the idea that sometimes seems to prevail in public education that the public educators and those who, those who have uh, degrees in childhood education have more knowledge and more wisdom and more authority than parents do. It didn't just start with that. It started from the beginning of time. Paul wouldn't have said, children, obey your parents, if it was only a 21st century issue. He wasn't just trying to hear himself talk. He, he, he said that uh, children obey your parents because it was an issue in the first century. And then we go all the way back to uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 12, verse, verse 8. And th- this, this actually was spoken in 850 to 869 B.C. 
Uh, but King Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So the rejection of authority of those over us, that, that's been since the beginning of time. I mean, Cain even rejected God's authority. I mean, God himself, the father of all, the father of the universe, came and warned Cain about his, his attitude. You know, he, he was the first one that said, don't roll your eyes at me. God, God did that, and, and yet Cain rejected God's counsel. So the, the, the rejection of authority is something that is with, with, within our, our sinful natures, right? The, the challenge to parental authority uh, is not true, though. It, it, not only is it in the Bible, the challenge to parental authority is, is in, in not true in this sense. I don't mean just it's, it's, it's a lie. It is a lie. But it opposes the very structure of reality. Objecting, usurping, getting rid of, putting aside parental authority opposes the very structure of reality. John chapter 8, 30, verse 31 from the Message Bible says, Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him and said, If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the word truth, I like what Ravi Zacharias says about truth. The word truth can be translated reality. And Ravi Zacharias affirms this when he says, Truth is that which affirms the nature of reality as it is. When you push back against the structure of the family and God's intention that there would be mom and dad and children. When you push against that, you're pushing against reality. That's why it's just like the it's just like the Church of Jesus Christ. You know the the, the epitaph of the church keeps getting written in every generation, but the church keeps coming back. The epitaph of the family has been written many times, but the family keeps coming back. The epitaph on marriage. You know, people say, well, people are going to quit getting married. M marriage is a big business. Marriage is not going away. Why? Because it's the structure of reality. God has created the world. The Bible says, in him we live and have our being. That's why Os Guinness would say, yes, Os Guinness, it's what you think. It's the, it's the Beer family. He's a great theologian, Os Guinness is. And he says, truth is fundamentally about who God is. And the universe, the Bible says the, the universe declares his glory. So that, mean, that means the structure of reality declares the stability and the glory of God. And we can, we can push against that reality. We can flaunt that reality. We can object to that reality. But that reality is rock solid. This is so easy, but so critical for us to grasp the structure of God's reality and all that's around us. Creation obeys a higher authority. Yes, chaos happens, problems happen, but God prevails. You know, a study a few years ago uh, in the family established that children, children brought up in a home where one parent was domineering, came out damaged. Where one parent was oppressive and domineering, maybe psychologically abusive, you would say. They come out damaged. Some of you know that. You, you grew up in homes like that. One parent was, was domineering. One parent was overbearing. 
But they also found that children who grew up in homes that were too egalitarian, egalitarian means equity, that, there's, that, that, that no one has authority. So you try to create a system where nobody has authority. Nobody, I forgot how he said that in the beginning, but he really worded that well. He, he, he talked about, I believe he said it, grace with a backbone. I thought that was, was that what he said? That's really good. That's what we're talking about. So we're talking about grace with a backbone. It, they discovered that children raised in homes that were overly uh, emphasized equity and overly emphasized egalitarian structure had difficulty succeeding in the workplace. They had difficulty ascending when they got into their jobs because authority is a reality that has been established by God, you're dealing with the structure of reality when you try to have a life with authority or without authority. Remember when everybody was talking about those flat uh, 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 organizational structure charts that were going to be flat? There was going to be no hierarchy? Nobody pulls those out anymore. <laughs> Do you notice that? Because <laughs> they don't work. <laughs> Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He doesn't set them in corporations. He doesn't set them in schools. He doesn't set them on teams, sports teams. God sets the lonely in families. Just because there are problems with it, and just because there are a lot of problems with our families, and there are, doesn't mean it's still not God's plan. The problem is never God. <laughs> it's you and me, right? The, the, the final thing I would say about, um, about the, the challenge to parental authority is that the dismiss, dis, dismissal of parental authority cannot last. It's not for you. I would say it that way. It's not for you. Ms. Miroslav Vov said this. And what, I'm, what I mean by that, let me explain. What I mean by that is fads of culture will come and go. But God's truth, as I've already made this point, I know, God's truth will prevail and the fads will be so outdated in 20 years that you'll be embarrassed that you ever went along with them. Remember bell-bottoms? Some of you remember bell-bottoms. Some of, you, some of you remember white guys like me getting afros. I got a picture of me with an afro. You don't want to, it's not good. It's not good. Miroslav Volf says something. He's an intellectual. He's, he's in charge of, uh, I think, religious department at Yale. And, and I love Miroslav Volf because even though he's very intellectual and he's very, very, he's very, he's progressive in some ways, He's also has this fundamental approach. He was raised a Pentecostal preacher's son in uh, Eastern Europe. And you can, you can feel that, uh, that foundation coming out of him when you read his stuff. But he said this in a, a book I was reading the other day. If you marry the spirit of the age, you will be a widow in the next. Think about that. Think about that before you go along with every new trend of parenting and every new trend of raising children and every new idea that comes along, think about that because it's so, so true. You know, we're surrounded by examples of this. Things that were cool 20 years ago are ridiculous today. Things that were cool 50. We embraced ethical behaviors 
and norms 50 years ago, 100 years ago, that are abhorrent today. It's hard for us to get our brain around the fact that slavery was accepted by almost everybody. And let me share a couple of illustrations, and I am not being political. So don't send me a text message. I'm not being political. I, have, I, don't, I don't use the pulpit to say negative or positive things about political figures. And I guess, yeah, there could be some evil so bad, King Herod, I might speak against, but I don't have that example. But um, I just thought this was a great example of how culture shifts and how you better not get too excited about the latest cultural thing that, that's the end thing. Uh, Barack Obama was speaking at the Obama Foundation Summit in Chicago last Tuesday. I don't know if some of you saw that. And here's what he said. He said, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. The idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. Uh, He goes on, like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or you used the wrong verb and then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself... Because, man, did you see how woke I was? I called you out. He said, that is not activism. Okay, now you would think, okay, that the, the, everybody would just say, oh, that's wonderful. He said it, right? No. Here's a New York Times article that came out a couple of days later. A journalist named Ernest Owens wrote an article blasting President Obama in his statement And here here sums up his critique. Well, there's some debate about which generation Mr. Obama belongs to. He's solidly in the older camp. Did you hear that? He's solidly in the older camp. It it reminded me of reading a while back the Boston Globe called Bill Clinton a pot-smoking, draft-dodging, moderate conservative. (laughs) I'm telling you, Who's cool today won't be cool 10 years from now. Richard Dawkins, anybody know who Richard Dawkins is, the famous atheist? He said this past week, we must not rid the world of religion. Richard Dawkins, this is the man who wrote The God Delusion. This is the man who suggested a few years ago that parents teaching their children about God was child abuse. This is the man whose close ally and associate, Christopher Hitchens, said, I'm absolutely convinced that the main source of hatred in the world is religion and organized religion. Absolutely convinced of that. And I think it should be religion. I think religion should be created, treated with ridicule, hatred, and contempt. I claim that right. Now, Christopher Hitchens is dead, and I'm not mocking his death. But he's dead the new atheist movement that he, Dawkins, Harris, and a guy named Danette created is gasping its last breath. It's, it's being killed off by the social justice movement. That movement is the new atheist movement that everybody was worried about. So many preachers, so many preachers changed their, their way of style of preaching on Sunday morning because of what Sam Harris was saying and Richard Dawkins was saying. And, and, and they're going to take all our young people off into atheism because they were making these logical arguments, arguments get atheism. They, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are yesterday's news. They are, they are being dethroned. But let me tell you who's still on the throne. I said, let me tell you who's still on the throne. His name is Jesus. Amen? God 
and God's word is still in the room. Listen, if you want to be cool, you'll be relevant for about 15 minutes. If you'll be humbly, insanely biblical, you'll be significant from now to the end of time. I said, if you want to be cool, you'll be relevant for about 15 minutes. But if you want to be, if you will be sanely, humbly, those are two important words, sane, humble. You can be, there's there's no crazy, it's like Christian crazy. (laughs) So, so you can be sanely, humbly, biblical, you will be significant, not only relevant, you'll be significant till Jesus comes back and beyond. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> L- let me touch on the function of parental authority. This is really an important point, and I, I, want, I want you to listen. Proverbs 22, 6 makes it clear that parents are the primary trainers in our lives. As I've already made it clear, this isn't going to change because the structure of, because it's the structure of reality. So it's not going to change. Genesis 1.28 says basically, okay, humans must reproduce physically. But he doesn't stop there. He infers on Adam and Eve the function of raising progeny, who not only fill the earth numerically, but subdue the earth, rule it, and bring it under divine authority. This means that birthing these wonderful little humans is just the starting point of the process of raising them up. Now, according to Andy Stanley, and, and these are, there are three things that shape everyone's lives, and I thought about this for a very long time. I couldn't improve on what he said. I couldn't improve on it. I couldn't disagree with it. I had to keep coming back to, okay, what Andy said. These are the three things that shape our lives. And those three things, listen, are experiences, relationships, and decisions. Experiences, relationships, and decisions. Let's say it. Experiences, relationships, and decisions. Experiences. You know this is true. Maybe maybe you're here and you go, yeah, my dad used to watch, you know, take me. I I hear things like this from people. My dad used to take me to the airport and, and watch the planes take off and land. And I sat there as a little kid, and I decided someday I'm going to fly one of those. Or me, my life, my parents made sure, because we lived in a little farm town, and our church was, uh, our church was a spiritual version, and, and this won't relate to so many of you, I'm sorry, I, I'm just so, I'm so dated, I apologize. But, but. Some of you remember the show Hee Haw. <laughs> well, my church was a spiritual version of Hee Haw. <laughs> and my mother, especially my mother, but my mother and dad both, they, they wanted me to see what the greatest preachers were like in the big churches. So they would load us up in our old car, and we'd go to Dallas, and we'd go to Fort Worth, and we would go to, uh, we would go to, H.C. Noah's big church. We would go to Gospel Lighthouse, Brother Pastor Hibbert, and we would go to Oak Cliff Assembly of God, and we would hear the great preachers. And I would sit there as a little boy, and I thought, ah, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. 
You know, I would see those people that were bringing the word of God, and they were singing, they were doing music. And every summer, my dad would cook at a camp meeting in Austin, Texas, Camp Ben McCullough. You know where Camp Ben McCullough is? In Driftwood, Texas. Driftwood, Texas. Man, it is a great spot in the world. It's still there. Every summer for like six weeks, we would go to Driftwood, Texas, and my dad would cook for a Christian gospel Pentecostal camp meeting. And I would sit there again. You don't even know the name A.M. Trotter. Man, that guy could preach. And later, some very famous preachers, as I got older, I would see their sermons, and I would go, they got that sermon from A.M. Trotter. They're acting like they created that sermon. They got that from Trotter, and they're not even giving him credit. What am I saying to you? My parents subjected me to experiences that shaped my life. Maybe your mom always welcomed you in the kitchen to help her cook. Or maybe she said, don't you come in here while I'm cooking. Kanye West shared this week. I, I, I was very disciplined last week, by the way. I determined I would preach a whole sermon and not mention Kanye West. <laughs> and I did it. I, did. Bet I'm, I bet none of my pastor friends were able to preach a sermon last week without using him as an illustration. But I can't, I can't make it for two weeks. Sorry. But it was so telling when he, in one of the interviews, he shared that finding his father's playboy shaped the rest of his life. Sent him into an addiction to pornography and shaped the decisions of his life. Experiences matter. Or maybe for you, and I, I hate to say this, but I know it's true. I know my audience here this morning, you, you, you remember the times you got molested. Tell me that didn't shape your life. And you've had to overcome that, and you've had to learn how to, you've had to get over the shame, the, the bitterness, all those horrible things. Uh, some of you are sitting here today, and, and you, you're, you're, you're thinking, I wish I'd never tried cocaine. I wish I'd never tried it. Experiences. This, so you can't control all your children's experiences, but you should try. <laughs> I said you should try. Now we'll talk later. I, I, next week we'll talk about influence. I know there's a controlling, domineering type thing, and we'll talk about that next week because we don't want to be that. We don't, I don't want to be that guy, right? Um. Relationships. Some of you are sitting here today and you, you go, you know, or, or I'll say people in general, you're, you, I was floundering until I met coach so-and-so. When I started playing basketball, I met coach so-and-so. And one day he said to me, <laughs> and it changed the way I thought about myself. Or I was in the second grade and couldn't read. This is, this is Sherry's story. I was in second grade and couldn't read until Mrs. So-and-so brought me aside and tutored me after school. And the way she explained reading, I got it. And I could read everything. I, I never did drugs till I started hanging out with so-and-so. I, I got into some stuff that really changed my life in a negative way when I started sleeping over at so-and-so's house. You can't always control who becomes... You can't always control... Who becomes influential in your child's life, but you should go ahead and try. 
Amen? I, I don't know. That's a scary one for me. I don't know if you agree with that. The third thing is decisions. Everything changed after my parents, this is what people will say to me. Everything changed after my parents decided to put me in that school. They put me in that private school or they put me in the public school. I was doing good, people will say. I was doing great until we moved in the seventh grade. I can trace my, my success in, in school and my, even my career after my parents heard a talk about the importance of reading and they started limiting my use of the computer and watching television and started rewarding me for reading books. Or you might say to me, my life took a decidedly bad turn after I decided blank. Decisions. You can't control your children's decisions, but you should try. <laughs> Let me close with this. I'll call it this last part of my talk today. The fine art of parental authority. Douglas Wilson in Why Children Matter says, if you don't discipline your children, you effectively you hate them. Because it's hard work to discipline children. And it's not just beating them up, and it's not just ordering them around. It's a, discipline is a very comprehensive word. We can try to lay that out for you in, in the next two weeks better. Training, what does it involve? When you think of training, I know some of you are in athletics, and you're most, a lot of you are in athletic teams. And you know the coach's decisions were, okay, we, we didn't do that very well last week, so we'll do this drill this week. So they're dialing up things. Or, or we're, we got tired before the, we, the fourth quarter, we would have won the game, but you were all tired. So that means we need to dial up the work, we need to dial up the, the, the drills, that, the, the working out, running sprints. We need to dial up uh, aerobic exercise so you, you have better stamina. So they, you dial up different things. So that's why parenting. Imagine, imagine as a parent, you have those three dials that Stanley talked about. You have the dial of experiences, relationships, and decisions. And, and the fine art of parenting is you know, you, you, you intuitively figure out what needs to be dialed up and what needs to be dialed down. Maybe, maybe experiences, you go, you know, I haven't subjected them. I haven't been taking... I, I don't bring them to church every Sunday. We're, we're, we're always using all these excuses not to be in church. And I want my children to love church. I want them to believe it's really important to be in church. I, I don't want them to not take my grandchildren to church. So I'm going to turn that up. I'm going to dial that up this, this next few months. And I'm going to start making sure we get to church on Sunday. Now, that's just a simple illustration of what I mean. Or, or, or on the relationships, you might go, you know, I notice when she comes back from their house, something's different about her, and I don't like it. So you, you start dialing down that relationship. You start making excuses why they can't go there, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I wish I had time for stories, but I got five minutes left, so I got I get, I get some stories about that. <laughs> but, or or uh, what's the last? Decisions. Maybe there's some decisions that your child, you need to help them make. And, and you see, here's the thing. Training presumes that influence must de decrease. This is important. 
influence must decrease as control declines. When they're two years old, you just pick them up and take them wherever you want them to go. You stick them in the car seat, strap them in, take them. You know, I, I watch, uh, I watch uh, Jay and Mary with, uh, with a little Ellie. And I notice when we, when we eat with them, they will make sure that the broccoli is placed in front of her first. Because she's hungry, right? So she will eat the broccoli if it's put first. The vegetables are put first. But if you put bread or meat in front of her first, she will skip the broccoli. Now that's called control. They're being controlling parents. Good for them. They're going to have a little girl who loves broccoli. But if they come over to my house and she's 16 and they're still doing that, <laughs> I'm going to get them some counseling. Your control decreases. When they're 16, you don't pick them up and take them wherever you want them to go. You have to have built a relationship over 16 years that they trust you. That they trust you. And you've poured into them. And you've be- more and more, you become less parent and more friend, which is really fun. I'm telling you, some of you know this experience. You have grown children, and you get to be their friend. And you still yell at them once in a while, but, but you get to be their friend. And you start having more of a peer relationship. It's really awesome. So, when we take one step, God takes two. There are no simple formulas to this. But you know, in business, in in business, I don't know anybody with a business plan that says this business plan will work every day 100%. No, it's always about um, percentages. Uh, If you adopt this business plan, you will... You, your sales will go up by 20%. I've never heard of a business plan that said you will sell everything out every day. <laughs> no, you will just sell more. If you will follow the scripture that I'm giving you today, you will have more success. Now, I want to close with a, a story, three-minute video, that says what the hope is, that you will have a scene not the same scene, of course. This is about, an, uh, this is about a adoption and about a step-parent. But you'll have a scene, something like this, someday. My name's formerly known as George Grimwade, but now it's uh, George Grimwade Musto. So I decided to changed my last name because my stepdad, which sounds weird calling him my stepdad because he's always been my dad to me, um, he doesn't have anyone to carry on his last name. And he raised me ever since I was in second grade. And I feel like I uh, owe it to him to carry on his last name when, uh, when I, hopefully when I have kids and hopefully they can carry on that last name. And uh, I just want his legacy to live on forever. I don't want it to end with him. So dad, on the date of September 26, 2019, I, uh, I decided to change my name from George Andrew Grimwade to George Grimwade Musto. I love you so much and you really do mean the world to me. Uh, without you, I don't know who I am, nor do I know where I'm at. Um, you and mom are the reason why I'm together and I'm so happy that I can take on that last name with mom 
and to uh, really feel like I've become one with that family. Um, I'm also really grateful that I get to carry on your last name for you, and uh, I hope I treat it well. Thank you. It is hereby ordered and decreed by the court that George Andrew Grimwade be hereafter known by the name of George Grimwade Mostel. It's official. Stamped and approved by the judge, too. How's it feel? Feels amazing. It's, it's, I mean, I did this four weeks ago, about a month ago, and uh, I just now got the papers today on October 1st, kind of panicking, but uh, I really hope he's gonna like the uh, presentation of it. Hey, you know how much I love you, right? Yeah. And how I always, like, treasure the time I have with you. Yeah. And now you're my world. I got my last name changed. I'm now George Grimway Musto. Look at my jersey. I love you so much, Dad. I love you. I'm okay. I'm okay. Parents matter. <laughs>